Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for the breath in our lungs. Thank You, Lord, um, that we get to come here, Father, and worship You. That uh, for the most part, Father, we are healthy. And uh, even though our bodies might not be what we want them to be, Father, that uh, You gave us another day. So we ask, Lord, that as we continue our worship by opening up Your Word, pray that Your Spirit would guide us, would convict us, Father. Lord, that You would use me in spite of me, Father, for Your glory. Thank You for this family that we get to worship with, Father. And thank You that we get to spur one another on to good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright. So, um, when I was a teenager, it's funny, uh, every time I have to use an example, my, my uncle's here. And I, I don't do it for you as much as I love you, but uh, it just so happens that when you're here, uh, i got to talk about you. Um, so when I was a teenager, um, I lived with my aunt and uncle, the man who's sitting right back there, the handsome, beautiful man. Um, and uh, I remember there was a certain time where I wanted to get serious about my faith. And I, I told my aunt, I was like, hey, you know, kind of like in a teenager way, because uh, I didn't quite have the words, and I was like, you know, I want to kind of get serious about this God thing, and this Bible stuff, and so I said, went up to my aunt, and I said, hey, do you know any about anyone who you trust that I can look up to, who knows God's Word, and, and could teach me a thing or two? So, I don't quite remember if it was the same day, or within that week, she came back with a name, and that name was George Quinones. Um, so, George, who affectionately later became known as uh, Brother Quisho and then Pastor Brother Quisho. Uh, it's a joke, I'll tell you later. Um, but um, he is the person that uh, she came up with. And uh, so he is my spiritual mentor, spiritual father, if you would. Um, since I was 14, I've known this guy. He has known me. So as you can imagine, he's seen the good, bad, and the ugly uh, when it comes to, to my life. And as you can imagine, there's been good, bad, and ugly conversations. Um, so I got to know Quisho since I was 14. He got to know me. Um, and uh, we had these conversations. And some of them were, were rough, tough conversations that need to be had. But every conversation I've had with him was seasoned with love and patience uh, as he was guiding me as an immature 14 and now an immature 38-year-old, as he was guiding me in my walk, um, there was there's never a time that I can remember that um, he wasn't patient. A time that I can't remember that that he snapped at me, that he just like went uh, flew off the handle. Um, always patient and seasoned with love. Um, so I think about that. I think about you. Think about a person in your life who has contributed to your spiritual walk. Someone who you knew you can go to. Someone who you knew you could follow. Because they were following hard after Christ. You can follow them as they imitated Christ. Think of that person. Think of the conversations that you had. Think of the way they encouraged you. Now, in those conversations, was it times that were they good things? As I talked about Quisha, were they good conversations? Were they seasoned with love and patience? Or were they bad conversations. If there were great conversations, imagine the opposite. Imagine if that person you're thinking of had come up to you and you just you just told them like your deepest, darkest secret and 
uh, you're struggling with this sin, and they came back to you and they just like made you feel like this small. What would that have done for your walk? Would that have encouraged you? Would that have made you want to live for God a little bit more? Or would that have discouraged you? Would it have stunted your growth? Even worse, if, if you're a baby Christian, would that have made you walk away from the Lord altogether? So that's what I think of um, as we think about um, encouraging one another, spurring one another on uh, towards good deeds. You know, um, how we treat each other and how we treat others is very, very, very important, uh, both in here and outside of these walls. Uh, so in our text today, we're going to be in First Thessalonians. So if you just want to turn there, First Thessalonians chapter 5. And in this section, as you're turning there, we're going to see that Paul will provide us with a picture of what to do and what not to do as it pertains to our character and how we treat each other and others. So he's going to show us what to do and what not to do as it pertains to our character and how we treat others. So if you're there, just take a look up. I know Thessalonians is hard to find because it's such a short book and you just like flip right through. Alright, <clears throat> and we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the undisciplined, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, be patient toward all. See that no one pays back evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good for one another and for all. So a bit of quick context here. So Paul and Silas were ministering in Thessalonica and the church began to go grow rapidly. So this group of Christians began to grow and grow and grow rather quickly. So some of the Jews became jealous and began to stir, stir up some trouble with the local politicians. And so um, it got to the point, it got so bad that Paul and Silas said, you know what, so as not to harm these other brothers and sisters, let, let's go from here. So they left and eventually ended up in Athens. And Paul just couldn't take it anymore. Paul, who's usually with the church for a long time and helps people grow up in the faith, had, had departed so quickly. He's just, he's there and he's like, I can't take it anymore. I need to know what happened to these converts. I need to know. So he did what it probably was at great cost to him. He sent, uh, Timothy away to go figure out what had happened, right? So he's there by himself in Athens. And uh, Timothy goes back to Thessalonica and he reports back. So he did it, one, so Timothy could encourage the church, and two, so he could finally hear back as to what had happened to, this, to these young converts, right? So he finally hears back from Timothy and the report that he gets greatly encourages him. He gets so encouraged that he, he wrote this letter right away. So he wrote the letter for three reasons. One, he wants to encourage them and strengthen them in their faith, right? He There's this persecution that had been happening, so he's like, hey, I'm so glad to hear that you've bared up on this persecution too. He wanted to kind of confirm their ministry amongst them. He said, hey, you know, we were there amongst you and, and we worked hard. It wasn't for any vain conceit or anything like that. We were working for the gospel among you. And three, he wanted to provide them instruction. For believers, young believers, you want to say, you know what? 
This report that I had, that I've heard is great. I'm so excited. But you know what? As we continue to grow, here are some things. Here are some things that any, as any good mentor, as any good teacher, any good coach, uh, they're not just going to leave you right where you're at, right? Because people get stagnant, right? But he says, hey, here are some things so you can continue to progress on this walk. So that is where we find ourselves in, in our selection for today. Um, and so Paul did all that. He's wanting to encourage them. He's wanting to build them up. So we start off um, with point one. And the first point that we see today is that true disciples of Jesus must care for one another and be patient with everyone. Wow, Laz, that is so profound. True disciples must care for one another and be patient with all. Anything that I'm going to tell you today is not rocket science. It's not something you don't know. It's probably easy, but I find that a lot of the easy things, a lot of things we should do are not that easy. And a lot of things we should be doing, we forget to do. Uh, there's a once wise man that said once, um, do the little things right. Do the little things right. And the little things turn to big things, and then the big things are right, right? Right, wise man? Yeah, there we go. So the little things, you do the little things right, and eventually everything the much bigger things fall into place, but it's the little things that require the most focus, the most hard work from you. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the undisciplined, comfort the discouraged, help the weak, the wicked, the weak, but be patient toward all. After speaking on respect for the leaders last week, right, in the last verses, uh, right before this, he turns his attention to the rest of us, right? So he said, hey, respect the leaders that you're under and respect them for they work among you, right? Now he turns to the rest of us, of which the leaders are also a part of it, right? The leaders don't get to walk away. You don't just get to respect the leaders and they treat you however they want. No, everybody. This is all of us, right? So <clears throat> they're not off the hook. But instead of asking, if you look in, ver- in chapter 5, Verse 12, but we request of you, brethren. That's what he said. We request of you, brethren, when he was talking about the authority. Now, he says, we urge you, brethren. We urge you. So he says, we urge you. Like, seriously, hey, pay attention to me. We're not just asking you if, if you want to live a good life, if you want to be like Christ, we're urging you, admonish the undisciplined. So they are to warn, caution, advise the undisciplined. So the word here, undisciplined, has like a military connotation. Okay, so the thought behind it is it's a military, a military thing. So you are disciplined. When you're marching, you're walking in line, there's a rank and file, and you've seen Marines. I'm, I'm just going to pick on Marines because they're, I mean, they look amazing when they're marching, right? Have, and if you've ever seen the silent drill platoon, they don't even call anything. They just, they, they, they're walking silently and with the rifles and they're throwing and they're flipping in. It looks amazing. Check it out on YouTube. Anyway. You see the Marines marching, and they're just amazing, right? They're just like in line, boom, straight up. Everybody's got a thing to do, and they know what to do. Same thing for the uh, life in the military. Quoting uh, Jack Nicholson's character in A Few Good Men, you do what you got to do, or people die, right? In the military, and I'm not talking about all jobs in the military. Some people just support the infantry guys who are out there, but you have a job to do. And you must do it, or else people die. 
So that's, that's the idea behind this undisciplined when Paul uses the word undisciplined. So, there's this idea of being undisciplined. So, it seems that people, the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, had become undisciplined. How? They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. If you go back in chapter 4, he encourages them to work with their hands just as he had told them to do. So some people thought that Jesus was coming like right now and they stopped working. They stopped working with their hands. They stopped doing what they needed to do for a living. That, and he's like, wait, what are you doing? Yes, we're all excited. Jesus will be coming back, but you need to work. Everybody has something to do. So he's encouraging them. Do what you got to do to make a living. We shouldn't be sluggers, right? From the beginning, in the beginning, we were working. God gave Adam and Eve a job to do. We're most like God when we are, are creating, where we are working. So God says, uh, so Paul is telling them, work. And that, that's in regular life, your day in, day out, nine to five, or whatever kind of hours you have, you are to work. You are to provide for your family. You're supposed to do what you got to do. In here, and as we serve out there, we have a job to do. We are to work. We are to work. We are supposed to be on mission, sharing the gospel with our lives and with our mouths. So Paul says, not only are you to work, but also when you're on mission, admonish, admonish these people. There are people who are sitting in the pews. Let's urge them. Let's warn them. Hey, come on, guys. Time's a wasting. Let's work. Admonish. But this is a tough one for most of us, right? Uh, some of us don't like having these tough conversations. Sometimes you got to call people out, and that's not easy. Some of us, I'll take it back, some of us like conflict, right? Some of us like are magnets, like, yes, I'll have the tough conversation. Please let me have the tough conversations. While all of, others of us are like, please, no, 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 no. Just let them do what they do. I'll be fine. You know, don't worry about it. But we have a job to do. This is all of us. Every single one of us, not to the people who like conflict, but those who don't like conflict, it's good for you. It's good for you, Mech. It's good for you to, to talk, to have these conversations because we are called to admonish one another. Now, am I saying be the conflict person? Am I saying be the disciplined police? Am I saying doing it to, to people you don't even know? The person you just randomly met and found out is a believer, you want to go and call them out on something? Unless, of course, it's something that should be called out, right? Something like outrageously sinful. You'd be like, hey, brother, you know. But I'm not telling you to be the disciplined police. Paul is instructing people he has a relationship with, believers that he has built up. He says, hey, admonish. In their circle, to admonish in their circle, people that they know. So it is well received. If I don't know you, are you really going to receive something from me? If I'm trying to urge you or correct you, no. And even if I do know you, we are in a day and age where we might not receive. Like I feel like people used to be able to receive constructive criticism, and now it's difficult. People don't want to hear what you have to say. They don't want to be corrected. I'm just like, hey, baby, bring it on. I want it all. If you see something that doesn't fit in my life, tell me. Now, I might, know, I might not always take it, and I might give you my point of view, but I'm all ears. God gave me these big old things because I love, I love to 
receive counsel, and that's how we should be. Admonish one another. It's our jobs to help each other, not just correct, but help. Like, hey, brother, I see you. Hey, sis, I see you're not really. And we go from there. Admonish one another. It's a it's a conversation that be, begins from a place a place of love and concern, not not being someone who thinks they're superior. Like, hey, I'm looking down at you, and and you should be like me. Not like, no, 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 no. Hey, we're in this race together. I see that maybe you're not doing so hot here. Let me let me tell you, and and I know I can point it out because guess what? I may not have been doing so hot here. So let let me show you, let me let me talk to you about what what I did, or let me talk about how the Lord, not even what I did, what the Lord did in my life. We call each other out in love. The next thing that we see in our care for one another is that we're to comfort the discouraged. Comfort the discouraged. And Paul is most likely speaking here to those who have lost friends. Right? He's already addressed, he's already addressed what happens when 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 we die, so he's he's talking to people who may have lost someone, and they might be worried what happened, what has happened to them, or even what might happen to them when they die. So you see, already there's a difference, right? So we've gone to admonish one another, so strongly urge, caution each other. To now, we see that he says comfort, comfort, not admonished the discouraged, comfort the discouraged. So you see there's wisdom in our approach. Comfort the discouraged. These people are not to be admonished, but to be comforted instead. What good is it going to do if you go to someone who is hurting and admonish them? Like, hey, come on. Let's go. Stop with this discouraged stuff, you know. Uh, can, can you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps? That's the American way. Come on. You know, let's go. We ain't got time for this. Get up. Pat him on the butt. Let's go. No. That approach might work for some. Some people like the tough love. But others, you try to do that to them, it's just going to push them down further in the hole. Like, you know what? They're right. I don't got it. You know, I should be doing this and I can't. They're right. What am I even doing here? And then slowly and slowly, they go further and further down the hole. So there's wisdom in our approach, comfort, not admonish. Uh, and truthfully, sometimes in a situation like that, words words don't even help. Sometimes just being there and being silent is is best. Sometimes we, the way that we want, that we are, we want to say like the right thing, right? Like, man, this brother or sister is like struggling and they're discouraged, and I just want to. Lord, what was that verse? Oh man, what was that thing I read the other day? Hey, you know what? Uh, when this happened, this was, you know. And the person just wants you to sit with them. We end up doing more bad than we do good by trying to come up with the right thing to say. We usually trip over ourselves and say the exact opposite. And as you try to pull back, you're just digging yourself further and further in the hole. Next thing we see in our care for another is that we're to help the weak. The weak here is not a physical weakness. Paul is more, like, more than likely speaking to a spiritual weakness. These are people that are might be young in the faith and are struggling. 
They're, sub- they're supposed to be supported and confirmed in the faith, not hit over the head at every turn. As I mentioned before, like when you thought of that person who would encourage you, that, that person who is your mentor, that person who did good for you in life, if they hit you over the head at every turn, what would that do for you? That, I know that would have helped me. If at every turn, if I failed, if I stumbled, if I kept falling the same thing over and over again, and they hit me over the head like, Last, what are you doing? You should be better than this by now. Man, how long have you been a believer? So on and so forth. That, would, that wouldn't do me any good. I don't know about you. These people don't need to be hit on the head at every turn. So, he gives you these things for care, right? So if we look at admonish the unruly, encourage the faint heart, help the weak, and finally, be patient with everyone. Hmm. Be patient with everyone. Alright, so, you told me to do all these things. And guess what? What do you need to be able to do all these things? Patience. If you've ever been in that situation where it's you who's doing the growing, where it's you who's trying to mature, where it's you messing up, you know, like Paul said, all these things I want to do, these are the things I don't do. And all the things I don't want to do, these are the things I do. And it's like this vicious circle. And you don't want to do it. But you keep doing it, right? Sometimes we forget about the power that we have. God has given us power to overcome the sinful struggle that we face. But we forget it. That's why God, over and over in the Bible, tells them to remember, 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 remember. And we forget, 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 forget. We forget what God has done in our lives. We forget about the power that we have. So, if you've been on this side of it, you know how hard it is to live rightly for the Lord. And when you mess up, you just go further and further down the hole. On the flip side, if you're on this side, and you're helping someone, and you're teaching someone, and you see them over and over and over, go down the hole, make the same mistakes. I mean, those of you that are parents here, you've seen it over and over and over when you're child, and you get to the point, if you're wise, you get to that point early where you say, okay, they're grown people, and they got to make their own mistakes. Or even before they're grown, you're like, okay, some people just got to bump their heads a few times, right? That's why God gave me this big old cranium because he knew I was going to have to uh, hit my head a few times. So when you're on that side, you see, man, why can't they get it? But then when you're on this side, you also forget, man, I didn't get it. You know, you think you just arrived to this seasoned area. No, you forget all the times you fell on your butt too. Patience. We need patience. To deal with the undisciplined. We need patience to deal with the discouraged. We need patience to deal with the weak. And it's not something you have. Okay? And I'll say this. There's a little caveat. A lot of us like to... There's this kind of pride. And it just... It it turns my stomach sometimes when I hear it. There's this kind of pride with people who are blunt with people who say they say things how they are and things like that. And, oh, I can't be patient. God didn't make me that way. Baloney. Baloney. 
Okay, that's just a cop-out, so you can treat people how you want to treat them and just say what you want to say without consequences. I believe everybody has a little bit of patience. <laughs> there are some that have a teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny, teeny bit of patience. And those of us who are granted more patience. All right? But the thing is, this is a fruit of the Spirit. This is something that the Lord cultivates in your life. So just because you have a teeny, tiny bit of patience doesn't give you the excuse to not work on this. To not, and, and when I say work on it, I'm not saying this is something you bring about by yourself, but it's something that you put yourself, you align yourself with the Lord, you walk with the Lord, you pray, you're in the Bible, you're amongst believers, and you align yourself, you put yourself in a position where the Lord will talk to you in His Word, through people, where the Lord will put you in, in, in situations where you have to practice patience. Let me tell you, you hear it often. You want patience? Be careful what you pray for because the Lord is going to put you in a position to practice that, practice that patience. So those of you here, pray carefully. But if you want to be like the Lord, you're going to pray for patience. And be on the lookout for the, for the experience, uh, for the opportunity. And he says, he just doesn't stop here in these walls. He goes further. Be patient with all. So, the person who's cut in front of you in the line. Be patient. The person, as you're driving, cuts you off. I know you, Ms. Day. I see you with that, that purple monster out there. I know you. Let me tell you that, okay, I'm just gonna confess that's the hardest for me. Um, Steph will tell you that's the least favorite version of last. And I wanna say it in front of my uncle because he taught me how to drive and he taught me how to drive well and I just did my own thing. Um, but I get behind the wheel and I just become a monster. And, and I've tried because I had the, we had the baby now. And because I've been trying to get back on a motorcycle for a long time, and she says until I behave in a regular car, I can't ride a motorcycle. So I don't think it's ever going to happen, folks. But I get behind the wheel and I lose my mind. People cut me off. I want to look for the next opportunity so I can get in front of them and break check the heck out of them. So stupid. So dangerous. My goodness. But it happens to me. I don't know why. And then I get in a race. And Steph always knows when it's happening because I start to accelerate. And she's like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. I'm just driving normal. I'm just, you know, who are you racing? Are you racing this car right here? No, 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 no. Patience with all. At the restaurant, they cook your food wrong. Patience. They bring your order to the house. You can't do anything about it. They give you the wrong food. Patience. Patience with all. It's a, it's a tall order. It's a tall order, but if you do the little things right, you're leaning on the Spirit. The Spirit will bring about change. All right, I got off on that. Uh, see, driving. Look, even just talking about it, just, whoo. All right, let me get back in this. Okay. I had this funny thing I wanted to say about patience being a cuss word, and it's true, right, for some of us. Um Love is patient, after all. And uh, so as we look inward, what's, uh, who are the people that push your buttons the worst, right? Your family, right? If you're married, you know. If you have kids, you know. Siblings, you know. They're the ones who know the buttons to push, and they push them on the regular for whatever reason. But then we go outside, and it's the same thing. 
Be patient. Love. Love is patient. We shouldn't hide behind our excuse. Patience is hard. No, I'm not. I'm not a patient person. I don't. I don't need to do that. If we're trying to be like our heavenly Father, if we're trying to be like Jesus, patience, patience is key. Again, that reminder: if you pray for it, look for it, because it's going to come. Opportunities. When I was in the Marine Corps, now they do two different kind of tests, but when I was in the Marine Corps, we used to do a physical fitness test twice a year. So it consisted of pull-ups, crunches, and three-mile runs. So you picture it's early in the morning, it's probably blackout, you know, and you're like waking up and you're all standing there waiting for them to come so you can do the test. So you knock out the pull-ups real quick. You do the crunches. <laughs> then it's your time to run. And so there's a lot of nervous energy because a lot of this, you get points for how high you score, and then, which goes towards your promotion, and you don't want to be the same rank forever, you know. And, uh, so you're lining up to do a three-mile run. When I, was in Miami, when I was in Miami, no kidding, we were right next to the Doral Golf Course. So where we ran our three-mile run for the test was on that golf course. It was awesome, it was, but it was very sandy, and some places you just slow down. But anyway, so you go and run. So the rabbits take off and they're gone and you can like just see them barely and you're like trying to keep up. You're like, all right, let me pace that one rabbit right over there and you're trying to keep up. Okay, I wasn't a fast rabbit. I was a rabbit, but I wasn't a tortoise. Okay, I'm just going to throw that out there. So we're running. You go to halfway point and you come back and what happens is you see a few different kind of people. So you're running, you're getting towards the end. You see the people that have just ran out of all-out sprint and they're like on the floor probably throwing up or whatever. Um, so you see that person. And you see another person who's just there like just walking, you know, pacing, trying to catch their breath, breathing it out. And then you see the people who ran and start to come back. So they come back and they're just pulling people off. So they see someone running and they come up next to you and they're running. Right? And so then you got a few of those different type of people, right? So you got the, the encourager who's just super loud, like, come on, you got this, you got this. And you're just like, shut the heck up, I'm just trying to live, I'm just trying to run. You got that person. You got the next person who's just like, just running with you, just being patient, just like, come on. And then you got the person who's in between who runs and every now and then throws out a little encouragement. Hey, come on, you got this. Hey, just a few more steps. All right, at the end, I want you to sprint. And that's what I picture. As we have patience with each other who are growing, you need to be that person who comes back. Who sees the people who are still running. You come back, and whichever type of person you're going to be, maybe temperate a little bit. Because uh, some people love that encouragement and in your face. A lot, of people, a lot of people just want the, hey, I'm right next to you. And a lot of people, a mix of in your face and just running with you. But be that person who has the patience, who has already ran their race, that it kind of breaks down a little bit because when you run your race and you're finished, then you're you're before the Lord, right? So it breaks down a little bit, but you get what I mean. Come back and run your race with someone else, showing them the way. Hey, you got this. Encouraging them with patience, with love. All right. So 
Point two, the next thing we see is that followers of Jesus do not seek revenge, but the good of all. Wow, Lord, that's another profound point. Yes, it's not my fault, y'all. It's easy, but again, some things are hard, right? Followers of Jesus do not seek revenge, but the good of all. Paul continues his instruction by teaching them that revenge has no place in the life of a believer. If you think about it, think about the times where someone has just done something so bad to you and you've taken revenge. Out of any of those times, other than the quick satisfaction you felt by getting revenge, has any good ever come of it? No, not really. Even when you're on the road and you just, oh man, yeah, I stuck it to them. And I won the race. Did it ever, did anything good ever come of that? Not for me, because especially when Seth's been in the car, then that just meant I was in for the silent treatment for a long time until I apologized for being a bonehead. Paul impresses the importance of not taking revenge, but seeking the good of the other. In a place where this church was growing, people from different walks of life, people grown up differently in different houses and raised different ways, there was bound to be conflict. Same thing that happens in marriage. There's bound to be conflict. In this church, as we seek to serve and share the gospel with the people of Lakeland, right now, we're still in the honeymoon phase, right? We all love each other. Not that we're not going to love each other later, but we tend to let things slide, right? As things happen, it's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But sooner or later, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. And I'm, I'm telling you now, if that happens with me, please come talk to me. Because I'm a little thick sometimes and I don't realize when I'm doing something, right? So come and talk to me instead of talking about me, right? And I'll do the same for you. If I feel there's something you've done or something that's going on, I will come and talk to you. And I'm not going to be angry or upset or anything. I'm lovingly, hey, we're brothers and sisters. Let's talk about this. Right? So, he's saying do not repay evil for evil because he knows as they're growing, as the church is growing, there's bound to be conflict. That applies to us. Whenever someone has hurt you or you've hurt someone, think about that. Think about the time where that has happened and both sides have been humble. Both sides have been patient and loving. Man, if we could get it to be like that every time. There are times Steph and I like getting, and I'm sorry I didn't clear all this with you before. Uh, life of a pastor's wife, right? Um, there are times where we just butt heads. And we talk about it. I mean, we have a licensed uh, professional counselor in the house. She helped us out a lot. Um, you, we have tools, and we're able to talk. And man, when we actually use those tools and we talk things out, the outcome is amazing. And we're, we're like surprised. We're like, wow, that we didn't blow up that time. Wow, that's amazing. And then we're just like... But think about the opposite. Think about the times where at least one of the sides was not humble. One side just dug in deep. And this side is willing to work and humble themselves and apologize and, hey, I love you. I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I was doing. Or I did and I shouldn't have done that. And this side is just like, skirt, digging my heels in. I'm not budging. Think about the outcome. It's not a great outcome. 
nothing's going to happen. It's going to take the Lord to like break down these walls. Do not repay evil for evil. Nothing ever comes from with that. Nothing ever good. Nothing good ever comes from that. There we go. <clears throat> so. We are to live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. Our lives should be characterized by love. Again, I'm not saying it because you're here, but I'm just saying it because, hey man, these were nuggets. My uncle once taught me, someone is always watching. Someone is always watching. In here, someone is always watching your character. Out there, someone is always watching. You're going to have people who are growing up in the faith in here. And even people, just because you're old and just because you've been a believer for a long time doesn't mean you're mature. This means you're old. Right? Unless you are walking with the Lord and maturing and let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit is going to do. Right? But if you're immature in the faith because you don't live out your faith, you're just old. There's going to be people in here looking up to you no matter the age. And there's going to be people here looking to your example, no matter what your age is. You could be in elementary school, in middle school, in high school, you can be in college, you can be a grown adult. There's always someone looking at your example. It goes double out there. They are just looking at believers, just looking to point the finger and say, hey, yeah, see, that's why I don't believe what y'all believe. Because y'all are just a bunch of hypocrites. And it's true. And it's true. A lot of it, it, it is true. But they don't, they don't really understand all the things that go into it. Like, hey, I'm, I'm just trying to live my life just like you. I, just because I'm in here doesn't mean I got it all together. Someone is always watching. Our, our lives should be characterized by love. People should look at us and see Jesus. And that, it's a hard thing. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. But that's why you got the... God has given you His Spirit so you can live out this life. Now what I... Let me just say, what I'm not trying to say is that you're living your life for someone else. Right? You're not putting on a show. Don't get that from me at all. I'm not saying like, hey, people are watching me and I need to act in a certain way just because. That's what the Bible says and I need to do it because someone's always watching no, I don't want you to be creeped out. Okay? But we are to live in a way, our lives are supposed to be characterized in a way because people are always watching. But, again, if you align yourself with the Lord, if you are reading your word, if you are praying, if you are spending time with others, and these are not magical things. These are not things that if you do them automatically, you're going to be a super, super Christian. No. But you're putting yourself in a place for God to do what He's going to do. These are avenues, just like spiritual disciplines. Just because you fast, just because you pray all the time, just because blah, 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 fill in the gap, whatever it is for you, just because you do those things all the time doesn't naturally mean you're going to be super mature. right? But these are avenues for the Lord to work in your life. So, again, if you align yourself, if you do the little things right, you align yourself with God right, and what He is doing in the world, right? because God has this mission. Right? And we forget sometimes that we've been placed into a particular part of history for a reason, uh, to a particular people group, uh, speaking a particular language, 
with a particular set of gifts, like Liam Neeson, um, to do a work, right? So we look and see where God is working and we go there, right? So if we align ourselves, we do what we need to do, God is going to work in our lives. Maybe not as fast as we want Him to, and we might, might not look exactly like what we think it is, but if you do these things, the Lord will work in your life. Um, sorry, Liam Neeson tripped me up. Um, so yeah, so you align yourself and God will work in your lives and He'll bring about this fruit of the Spirit. He will, when people look at you, they will see Jesus and it's probably already happened in your life. People have looked at you and said, hey, what, what is it about your life? What do you got? I, I want that. And that's what we want. Again, not living for others' approval, not living in a way, uh, living, uh, like a role. But when you do all these things, all that stuff will take care of itself. You're just going to be living, right? You're going to be praying. You're going to be talking to the Lord as you walk. Hey, Lord. Hey, Papa. This is what happened today. Boom, boom, boom. You know, you're reading your word. Oh, man, look at this. I read this like last week and it wasn't the same. The Spirit is illuminating this. Let me... As you're around each other and you're rubbing elbows, you're sharpening each other, you're having these hard conversations. You're encouraging one another. One another. You're discouraged. Hey, don't worry. This person's going to encourage you. As those things happen, things will come together, and people will see that. So again, it's not playing a role. All right. <clears throat> so th- uh, during our short time together today, we saw that followers of Christ must care for one another and be patient for all. We saw that they do not seek revenge, but rather seek the good of all. Our lives must be characterized by love. Our greatest example to ever walk this earth did not take revenge. Matter of fact, when he was on the cross, looking down, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Already, he was forgiving them. Never once in Jesus' life, in his ministry, did he take revenge. Never once did he sin against others. Never once did he sin. Our greatest example of this walked and talked it. And we are to do the same. And and God in His grace and His love has given us other examples. He has given us people who have gone before us in this race, the people that come back and walk with us or run with us, people that are flesh now before us, right? Because Jesus coming, He's going to be flesh, right? But He is flesh. But now, I'm talking about now, before us, before our very eyes, someone that we can relate to as we see them day to day. He gives us these examples. So find those people. You've heard different versions of this, but there's there should always be someone who's pouring into you. Right? Someone that you have that's running the same race at the same time as you, contemporary, right? And then someone that you're pouring into. Are you doing that? Do you have someone pouring into you? Do you have someone that can encourage you? Do you have someone that you can pour into? Think about it. Jesus did it. He has given us the Spirit so we can do it. Not for our glory, not to play a role, but to be on mission. To be that fragrant, like, just that love that people just want to be around. Like, man, what is it? What is it about Jenny? No, there's something about her. I don't know what it is. I'm always talking to her. I feel at peace when I'm talking about her. Or talking, not talking about her. No one talks about you. I'm just kidding. Jack Hughes. Not talking about you. Talking with her. Man, there's something about her that just 
I feel a peace and I want what she wants. Man, what is it? Jesus has given you a spirit and the power to do it. Uh, turn with me real quick to Matthew 18. Sorry, verse 21. I'll try to read this quick. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed them ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children and all that he had, and to re- the repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized them and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he is owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt you had because you pleaded with me. Should you have not also had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same for you if each of you, each of you does not forgive his brother from your own heart. Alright, what am I trying to by reading it. Okay, so we've learned that we are to be patient, right? Be patient with all. Be patient with those in here who are discouraged, who are weak. Um, and we are to admonish the discouraged. We also learned that we're not supposed to take revenge, but to uh, love all, right? Jesus is teaching here. We have been forgiven a lot. A whole Freaking lot. There is no way in this world that you should not be able to forgive others for way less than what Jesus has forgiven you. So, I know it's hard to be patient. I know it's hard not to repay evil for evil. But this week, I would encourage you, I would urge you, Pay attention to your life. Who example are, whose example are you following? Right? We get to get caught, we get caught up in this world. We get caught up in the rat race and we, we get caught up in the, no, you know what? They did this to me. I'm going to do this to them. Does Jesus say repay evil for evil? No. He's already told you. All that stuff, all that stuff there, you've done. You've been forgiven. Forgive others. Think about it this week. Have patience. Do not repay evil for evil. Thank you.